Hey, it's Lauren. Thank you so much for listening to The Afterlight. Enjoy the episode. This episode has been brought to you by The Afterlight Institute. The Afterlight Institute is a community of teachers and students seeking to expand their spiritual gifts and their inner wisdom on the road to illuminating their forgotten selves. Offering online courses, in-person retreats, live events, online expositions, and more, the Afterlight Institute is a safe and inclusive space for all. To learn more, head to theafterlightinstitute.com. I'm Lauren Grace, and welcome to The Afterlight. And I'm joined today by Keisha Makiba Bowers. She is a highly driven woman who was born to break barriers. She proves that when powered by purpose, women are unstoppable. She's built her storied life and career brick by brick, fighting fears, failures, and setbacks to have the success she's always known was hers to claim. Today, she personifies what it means to ascend above adversity while inspiring countless others to do the same. Having honed her expertise as a healing guide for over a decade, her work is a testament to what it means to leave an undeniable mark on the world. Keisha is the founder of Movements for Change, LLC, where she transforms lives one soul at a time. In 2014, Keisha had a vision of bringing emotional wellness to the world. This vision transformed into serving thousands from Ghana, West Africa, to Jamaica, and within the United States. Keisha operates an online healing sanctuary where souls from all over the globe come to her for emotional healing. Many recovering from childhood trauma, inner child pain, self-identity struggles, and much more. During the pandemic, Keisha created an inner child healing virtual program. In addition, she pursued her Reiki practice, becoming a level three Reiki master teacher. Keisha completed her master's degree in social work in 2008 from Florida Atlantic University and Mm. continues to learn in the University of Life. And Keisha is joining me today. We're going to be talking about all things inner child, healing the mother womb, ascending adversity, and much more. And girl, I love that bio. Every time I read the bio, I just get zing all over. (laughs) What an accomplishment. What a colorful life. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. This is exciting, being able to talk about connecting this inner child healing to spirit. and. I asked you immediately when you reached out to me, how did you find me? Because it just felt so good. So thank you. It's funny how, you know, sometimes, well, I mean, always spirit guides us when we're ready to be guided, I think. And uh, I feel personally like I've been doing a lot of, well, I've been needing to do a lot more inner child work. I think I kind of thought if I did a couple meditations, it was set and forget. And I didn't really need to go back there again without realizing Mm -hmm. that it's a constant maintenance. So I was so grateful to find you and and to connect with your energy as well. So just before we get into the subject of inner child healing the mother womb and all that, which is going to be a massive conversation, Mm -hmm. I would love to know a little bit about your storied life. I love how, you know, your bio is so beautifully written about how it was a career career built brick by brick fighting fears and failures and setbacks and then to have the success that was yours you know tell me a bit about that so I am I was born to parents who were originally from Jamaica they were they had migrated here um, and I was born you know I grew up in White Plains New York and my mom she she was a single mom for all her life you know she had six children and When I was four years old, my mother left me with my dad. So all of my siblings and I, we have different fathers, all of us. And so there are six of us and I'm the fourth child. So leaving me with my father at the age of four and, you know, my father was a single parent. I there, that's where my mother wound was born because, you know, the mother wound is that is the absence of a mother and whether their emotional absence or their physical absence, but we our self-identity is birthed at the birthing table simultaneously, you know, with, with our mother, it's, we're so connected to this person. So to have that physical absence at such a small age was impactful. And I struggled for a long time after that experience of being with my dad, I ended up going back to my mother when I got a little older 
and she had two other children after me and she was always working. She had three jobs. I had to, you know, I became highly parentified. I had to take care of my siblings. There was some sexual trauma. And through that, through, through that experience, I learned to mask all of my pain. I didn't know that I was in pain. I thought all of this was normal. I thought this was just life and that this was just my life and this is how it was. And I masked my pain with perfectionism and with this idea that all I had to do was meet societal norms. But in that process of meeting societal norms, I kept losing pieces of myself. Thankfully, we never lose our core. That's our spirit. And thankfully, that was always there. But all of the other accents, you know, like how we wear accessories, lipstick, earrings, bracelets. I was just losing my accessories along the way through um, codependent relationships. I had an abusive boyfriend at one point. I mean, physically abusive. And I was young and in college, I pursued like, um, you know, I learned how to settle. I was one of those individuals who I had a nine to five. I was the best employee ever, but I never showed up authentically. I never thought that what I had to say was valuable. I never thought that people even cared about me or thought that, you know, so I pretended the way I showed up, you wouldn't know that. My masked reality was like this overconfident, overly, you know, it was not my authentic, like Gary Zukov talks in the seat of the soul mm. about that authentic power. I didn't know how to connect with my authentic power. I didn't think there was anything powerful about me. I was a dancer. I've been dancing my entire life. And I used that identity as being a professional. I, I did African Caribbean. I was a part of a well-known dance company for much of my early adulthood, like from 21 all the way up until 39, 40, right? And, and during that season of my life of being in the dance company, I thought all I had to do was be the best dancer. Everything that I got involved in, I knew if I could just figure out how to be the best, then everyone would love me. And imagine living a life like that. Yeah. Well, and then people do that and they don't even realize that they're doing it. Right. It's kind of like you're going through the almost like a robotic thing. I call it autopilot. So yeah. I was in autopilot and all of what I was doing was really, I essentially really wanted to gain the love of my mother. I really wanted her to say, I love you just the way you are. And I'm proud of you. And there's nothing that you need to do to prove you, that your love to me or to prove your worth because I love you just as you are. And I've, I, that, that, you know, I, so I was always looking outside of myself. Now I had a father who was like, people thought he overindulged me because, you know, I was like his prized possession. You know, I was there. He is looking over me. <laughs> I was his prized possession. And so what that looked like was constantly him trying to recover the pain from my mother. So he knew, remember, she left me with him when I was four. So he knew whatever was going on with her. He knew that the, I, me being the only daughter of six, I was her only daughter. I'm her only daughter. Mm -hmm. So he, my father constantly, so his, his sense of trying to recover my pain was like kind of him. People always thought, oh, your father over loves you. He spoils you. That's what it looked like. That was the perception. But what he really was trying to do was really put me back to pieces mm. um, in so many ways. And then in 2014, the inevitable happened and my father passed away. And, and then that's face to deal with your own stuff on your own. Ooh, come on and speak the Who's truth. My God, speak <laughs> the truth. Tell the whole truth. I didn't know the person that he knew that I was. I never knew her. This woman today. Mm. He knew who this was. I didn't know her. Wow. So many things I want to go off of here. Like number one, I do want to say that I actually was calling it the mother wound instead of the mother, uh, the mother womb instead of the mother wound, which is, I feel like in a way there's maybe something there that we can jam on in a little bit because, yes, we can. you know, there's definitely a healing to go on with that. So, um, mm -hmm. but one of the things I want to talk about for you is like, wow, you know, you're so self-aware and the fact that you're able to look at all these different facets of yourself that make up who you are, I guess I'm just kind of wondering, you know, how do people 
have that awakening or that, that shift in their perception. You know, when you're telling your story, it sounds to me like you actually seem to be killing it in a way, like you were doing fine. You had a great career, you know, outwardly. I (laughs) I mean, I know you were dealing with relationship challenges and stuff, but I think that in a way you just sound like you're very, you're very competent and going through the motions. When did you know something wasn't right or you weren't? I, I knew something wasn't right when when I realized that I was running away from myself. I was constantly distracted. I always had to be on my phone. I was always trying to help someone else with their life. I never wanted to face my own stuff. I never wanted to. Now I had patterns of friendships that definitely reflected to me that there was something internal that I needed to take care of. And notice I don't use the language fix because we're not broken, but there is something that was calling my attention and I didn't want to give it my attention, but I had friendships that ended abruptly or that, you know, didn't have closure or there was something going on. And, and this is what I teach in my program that we have to learn to identify how our trauma has shaped our character. We have to learn to connect with how our trauma shapes our character. But when we're operating from the place of feeling as though we're the victim, then everyone else is doing something bad to us and we can't see ourselves fully. We, I, I was not the observer. I was always immersed in my pain. Yeah, I did not have the ability to witness everything because I was so caught up in being this victim. Yeah. But like I said, when my father passed away and I was left alone, like with myself, because I didn't have him to recover me anymore, mm-hmm. you know, because he was the one who, if I called him and I said, oh my God, you know, someone at work was mean to me. And he would say, that's a horrible person. <laughs> yeah. Instead of I've attracted this mean comment or I'm taking it personally or I'm being never or, he, he yeah. never held me accountable. He right. never held me accountable. He would never hold me accountable. He would say that person is horrible and you need to stay away from them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting. One of the things that I've realized being on the spiritual path is a lot about how everything really is divine timing and how if we you know, because sometimes it can be frustrating when we know better now where we think, oh man, I, I, I don't want to say wasted, but just for lack of a better example, I've wasted so many years, you know, not being more, but we needed to go through all of those explorations and those situations in order to get mm-hmm. to where we are. And I think it was Maya Angelou who said, you know, when we operate at the level of consciousness that we're at, you know, that's when we can do better when we learn more, when we learn better, I'm paraphrasing here, but you know, one of the things that I really love about what you're talking about is you kind of shifted, you went from being a victim to being almost the observer. And I guess my question to you is, how did you make that shift? Because I, I can connect you on that level in the sense that, um, and I know our listener at home's like, Lauren, this story again, I'll make it, I'll keep it brief. But, you know, when (laughs) I was, uh, you know, about three, four years ago, I had taken a four to five years break from spirituality because, I just, I realized that I didn't want to hang up the laundry by myself. I didn't want to be alone with my thoughts. And it's not like I, you know, was like going through anything crazy. It was just more like I couldn't stop thinking and I couldn't stop obsessing about things. And like, why did I do that decision? And what happened there? And, you know, just doing a Mm. lot of, of that. And when I found Eckhart Tolle's work about being in the present moment and understanding the observer and being the witness and not identifying Mm. with that and all that, that changed the whole game for me. Mm. And I was just kind of wondering, how did you, you know, you talked about Gary Zukoff, you know, in the, he's so good. I love his work. Yeah. So, oh my God, I'm just getting so many goosebumps here while I'm speaking with you. Well, well, I, 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 let me, here's, it was a gradual transition. I'll tell you this much. I, I went to Whole Foods one day before my dad passed away the very same year though, 2014, this is the magic year. And it was earlier that year. And I go to Whole Foods by myself. I literally just started my business. I just got these business cards made and I go to Whole Foods and this woman is in front of me and she turns to me and she starts talking and she says, she's 
starting a group for women around healing. And I started to tell her about the work that I did. And she said, you might be interested in a program that I'm a part of. And I was like, really? Well, you know, tell me more. Anyways, I spoke to her. She told me about the program, which was a 12-step program, Adult Children of Alcoholics and Dysfunctional Families, ACOA. And I was, I heard it and I was like, that sounds really commercial. I don't know why she told me about that program because I'm not interested in that. I left, I went to Barnes and Nobles. This is a true story. I can't make this up. This book falls off the shelf, fell on my foot. I picked it up. It was called Anxious to Please, Seven Revolutionary Habits of the Chronically Nice. I read that book overnight. I, it fell, I bought the book, I read it. I, I didn't go to my bed. I read the whole book in one night. And I woke up like six o'clock the next morning and I, I shook my husband and I said, I think I need to go into a mental institution. <laughs> I swear. I was like, I feel like I, I have been living a lie. I think that I made up this fake person and I, and I, I, I don't feel good. Like I want to vomit. I'm sick to my stomach. And he was like, what? Calm down. It's like six in the morning. And so I called her. And I was like, listen, can you tell me about the program? Where is it? I think I need to come. And I entered into the 12-step program. Mm. I entered into the ACOA 12-step program, Adult Children of Alcoholics and Dysfunctional Families. That was the game changer. That's where the shift happened. That's literally where this book fell on my foot. I read it. I called her back. I don't know this woman. I called her back and found out she had the same birthday as mine. Of course. Like it was just so wild. And then I, I went into the program and that's when the shift, shift happened. And then like five months later, my dad died oh. unexpectedly. I was just like, who does this to me? Why is the universe? But it's like, you, you get what you need when you need it. Mm -hmm. However you need it. And you we know, never get I, more than we can handle. And we never get more than we can handle. It, it was obvious that I needed to go through this rapid shift because this major life change was about to happen. Right. I didn't know. I couldn't have calculated it. Yeah. And so that the shift happened in me acknowledging because we can't create change. We can't heal what we're not willing to see. Yeah. So my shift happened when I was able to see clearly that I had created an entire lie that I was willing to live by and that it was time for me to dismantle it and walk into my truth. Now, my life after that awareness is totally different. The life that I was living in my lie, like you said, I, I was a director of programs. I have a master's degree. I I was, I fit, I, like you said, to someone on the outside, I, I, I had all my check marks. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I was suffering. I was suffering inside. Right. Then when I decided to walk into my truth, what that truth looked like was saying no. Um, instead of creating this image that the relationship with my mother was a healthy one while I was being abused still as an adult. I was able to go no contact with this person and say, this doesn't feel good. This is killing me. I, I can't have her in my life. It's, she's not good for me. Instead of doing the things that I thought, I, because a lot of my life was operating from a place of over-obligation and hyper-independence. Interesting. So shifting to hosting tours to Africa, being a transformative healer. And like this life that I created is totally, it's extremely different from the life that I was living. You know what, when you're talking, I mean, uh, so many things have come to mind. I mean, number one, how brave, you know, to step up and go, you know what, I'm going to acknowledge all this shadow stuff and I'm going to, you know, work through it. And you know, like there's a certain, I would think a level of awareness, uh, a higher self within yourself that just kind of almost may, maybe took over because I would imagine that for many people, they would look at that if they had had any kind of planning, they would think it was too hard. It sounds to me like you were really being done. I love the idea when Wayne Dyer talks about how, you know, we think we're doing everything, but we're actually being done by God. 
um, or insert whatever word. Yeah. It's so powerful. And it's like, when you're going with the flow of life, life will chuck that book at your feet. And when you're ready to be served or ready to serve and ready to, you know, to get the work done that you came here to do, then Mm. spirit is going to guide you and show you the way. And like, When you're talking, one of the things that comes to mind for me is that I think that people innately believe that they are meant to suffer or that (laughs) that joy is not actually for them. And that this this life of happiness and joy and bliss and ease and grace and abundance and prosperity and perfect health and all that stuff is just a fantasy. And the thing that I like, I feel like I'm preaching right now, but the thing about you are going in is like it's so it's actually what we're here for we're actually supposed to be able to experience light within the shade and the see the light within the you know the difficult times and i think that one of the things that you said that was so important i want to reinforce is that you understood mm-hmm. you know the relationship with your mother was not healthy and you created that boundary and you were no mm-hmm. longer acting out of ob- obligation or out of some sort of guilt program where you went wait a minute this isn't for me so you know how did you how did you do that? How do other people listening to this who can see themselves in you, who can find those patterns in their own life, how do they break free of that and actually break free without having that nagging voice in the back of their mind telling them what they should be doing instead? You you know what? And I, I when you say guilt, because I always say, you know, in order to in order to have guilt throwers, you have to have guilt catchers. And my family culture that's what it was about. It was about guilt throwing and guilt catching. And so I, it was guilt and shame that had me in that cycle of this over obligation. I had to do it. I had to be, but you have to get to the place where it's either you or them. You literally, you have to be at the place where it's like a matter of life or death. Literally, if you don't see it in that manner, then because what I teach in my work is you have to be willing to take radical, intentional action. Radical, and I love Lauren that you identified, you know when you're driving and you miss, you're about to miss your turn and you make that hard right to catch your turn? Yeah. That's literally what you have to do with your life. You literally have to make that hard right turn that's gonna make everybody think you've lost your mind. When I mean like, because you see what's on the other side. Mm-hmm. They can't see it. That's why it's called the calling. It's your call. Yeah. Nobody else is getting the phone call. You're getting yeah. the call. Yeah. Right. So yeah. you have to think like, I didn't know that my dad died in 2014. I had my awakening. Like I told you, like a few months went to this program. I didn't know that come 2017, I was going to go to Africa then 2018, I was going to go back and buy land. Then 2019, I was hosting tours. All of that was born as a result of my radical, intentional action. Yeah, yeah. So you have well, to see your calling as a greater, more impactful, you know, powerhouse than mm-hmm. everyone else and every situation and everything mm-hmm. else that has been weighing you down because what it's doing is sucking the life out of you. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, what's coming to mind for me here. It's kind of like, you know, when people just get tired, like they get fed up and then they go, I'm fed up. I want a different life. And sometimes some people it's a real, you know, slap in the face where they, they have that other people, it's a gradual thing, mm-hmm. you know, it's all different. But one of the things that I love about when you were talking that came to mind was that you know, when you're operating, you're following your own calling, like you said, you know, that's so deep within your own soul, that you no longer need the permission or approval of other people. And it's so, and it's so, I feel like, (laughs) I know, right. And it's so important to make sure that as you move forward, that you are surrounding yourself by people who create and hold space for you to be that and realize who you are within their presence. And if you can't, then you got to, then you can't. That's the next step. So the first one, you got to take radical intentional action, but you also have to adapt a, some, a certain level of a spiritual um, safety net or some kind of communal, you're going to need a sense of like, I feel supported 
in this process. Yeah. When you do decide to to take this kind of action, because it's going to be hard. I'm just going to be honest. And what, what it looked like for me was deciding that I had to go no contact with my mother meant her family was mad. People were judging me. People thought I was being a bad daughter. Yeah. People thought, how could you? Your mother worked so hard. She always had three jobs. She always did this and that. Like I was clear at that stage that these people didn't see what my suffering, that they didn't see what was happening behind the scenes, that yeah. I no longer needed to explain to them, oh my God, but she just called me a bitch. You guys didn't hear that. I didn't, I, I lost the need to have that fight and prove yeah. anything. To justify to your own action. When I work with clients, sometimes one of the things that I notice they do is like they intuitively know whether something is good for them or not. But yes. one of the challenges that comes up is that they feel the need to justify as opposed to saying it just isn't right for me. Yes. End of story. They have to go because duh, 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 and then all of a sudden they get Thank sucked you. back into the vortex of that. Oh, yes. You get sucked right back in. I had yeah. gotten sucked in repeatedly like. My, yeah. the way I got sucked in, I remember my husband looked at me one day and he says, if you don't stop, I'm going to leave you. It was that bad because wow. I just, I was, I, it, it was just that thing that kept pulling me in that kept saying, you know, you need to prove your worth. You need to explain, you need them to understand what you're, what you, and, and how it manifested in my home life was like, I'm on the phone. I'm explaining to her. She hung up on me. I'm calling her back. I'm out. It was, mm -hmm. it, it was always like a bad love relationship, like a toxic boyfriend or, you know, it was that thing. And, and, and so I was, when I realized that my calling was begging for me to give it my attention and that I would suffer if I didn't stop, I, it was enough for me to say, and then my father was no longer here as a buffer. Cause right. you know, when this was happening, when he was in the living, like in the physical body, yeah. I would call him, tell him what she said. He would call her, tell her to leave me alone. He would tell me that's my mom. Just calm down. A few weeks would pass. And then I would go, I can tell you what the cycle looked like when he yeah. was out of the picture, he was no longer there to assuage the situation and make it better and make me feel better. And, yeah. you know, confront her for me. I had to stand up for myself. Yeah. And one of the things that I wrote down when you were speaking was habits and patterns. And I think mm -hmm. that, you know, we physically act them out, but I think a big part of it as well is that we have these conditioned neural nets in our brains that are trying to recreate similar things over and over and over again. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, it's really about undoing that. You know, one of the things that I go, uh, that I say to myself is, you know, it's just a, it's an old mental position or it's just a, you know, it's a reoccurring habit or something like that. You know, that it's really, it's an old construct. It's not actually who I am, but it's almost, you know, when you're looking at breaking those, you know, those constructs down, those neural nets down and creating new ones, there sometimes is that re residual energy or that residual mm -hmm. sort of pattern that sort of still sits there. So, mm -hmm. you know, for you, was it kind of, once you made the decision to, uh, you know, leave that or cut the relationship relationship off, did you then kind of have to practice that decision or did you go back or, or where are you going to now? I had to practice it. It actually, yeah. and, and, and I call it in my work, a warrior practice. So you, you, you know, the way of the warrior is you, you, you're practicing cause you're preparing for something, right? Right. You don't know when and how, or what's going to happen, but you got to develop a mindset that is about discipline and self-control and connecting with your emotions. I have a child, my son is on the spectrum and he's intellectually gifted. So he plays chess and oh. it wasn't until he started to play chess that I started to understand like this, this type of mind control and about like the, the mindset of winning that sometimes you have to wait it out. You sometimes you have to wait. Right. Yeah. And so this experience with this relationship and my mother and the abusive relationship, it took a minute. I had to develop a practice. I had to develop like you know, particular affirmations. I had to, um, I remember the thought of confronting her about something, how I would feel sick to my stomach 
And I had to literally talk to my body and tell my body that it is safe. I had to develop different practices around safety and say, you, you know, you have the power to reparent yourself. You have the power to be your own mother. Like you are taking care of you. How beautiful is this? You're, you're, you're making it known how valuable you are and how you value yourself. Right. And so it took so it took so many instances of me like being no contact to being limited contact to trying to let her back in to my oldest child going to college and me feeling bad and thinking well let me invite her over for dinner before we send our our daughter off to college or you know it went i've been through different stages yeah um you know i went through different stages and so now where i am is total no contact um total what I, what I discovered in the different stages of, of this process is essentially um, those of us who are in this level of recovery, we don't like peace. We like chaos. We, there's a part of us that is so conditioned to be attracted to the chaos that when we have too much peace, we sought out something that's a little chaotic. Yeah. And so when I realized that was what was happening, I said, oh no. I have to want peace. I need peace in my life. No, no, no. So how do you do that? I, I just, how do you want peace? How do you like, I know you want peace, but how do you, because a lot of the times it's these thoughts that we have that we can't stop. I think it's a lot about pretty much it's all thoughts. Really? I'm trying to think. It really is. It, yeah. It's your thoughts result in your feelings and your feelings result in your actions. Yeah. Everything we do started out with a thought that brought us into a feelings and our feelings and our emotions are not the same. Your emotions are your energy emotion. You can feel anxious and, but be, and have the emotion of joy too. Right. Yeah. So we need to learn to differentiate because a lot of times we'll have a feeling and we want to act on it and be impulsive because we want, it's about control and power. But what if we just allow the feeling to come up and let it pass by? So here I am in the state of no contact for our listeners. And this thought shows up that I'm a bad daughter and that my mother's getting older and she's going to die one day and I need to pick up the phone and call her. The feeling that is evoked from that might be anxiety. Yeah. It might be some shame. It might be um, despair. It might be. And then the action that might lead is me feeling like I got to drive to her house or because she lives in my city or I have to, you know, so I, in the moment of having the thought, I have to redirect that thought immediately. You, you literally have to catch the thought in its yeah. inception. Yeah. You can't let it fester because if you do, we're going to talk about like overeating. We're going to talk about gossip. We're going to talk about needing a filler, whatever that is to, to replace whatever we think we're missing out on. So I then had to create different thought patterns that I like, I have a board in my room, a bulletin board, like a little, you know, in my bedroom, like right beside my bed. And I'll write out like each week, a different thought process that I know is going to lead me into the week that I have to go back to. So like, I might have the thought process of, you know, I am enough and I am safe in my own dwelling. I am safe in my body. I am, it is okay. All is well. Whatever I choose for myself is good for my soul. These are the things that I have to say. So immediately when this thought comes up, you're a bad daughter, look at what you're doing. She's going to give die. She's getting old. These are real thoughts. I'm being honest. Yeah. So yeah. when I have, not only that, when those thoughts show up, I remind myself of like the pain too, of like why I initially decided to be in the position that I'm in. Yeah. And immediately when I start to think about the pain that comes, the interaction with her, my little girl on the inside who has been, I've worked on healing. She's like, no, please. No, 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 no. We're okay. We're okay right now. Don't, don't let that in. Let's so it, you, you have to then get into a conversation with that part of yourself. And that's why I tell people all the time, talk to your body. Yeah. If you're confused, should I go see my mom? Should I call her? Your body would tell you something. 
Yeah. Your body, your emotions are guiding you all the time. And for me, I believe that's your higher self coming through and being like, this doesn't serve you or this does serve you. When you were talking so many things that I wrote down that I wanted to, to, to talk to you about, but one of the things that I want to go through for a minute is the the thought process. So I did learn, you know, and I, I started to understand and see it myself. I mean, I've been reprogramming myself for over 20 years. So that's been an ongoing thing. But it wasn't until I read Eckhart's work where I, I thought about, I realized the present moment and all that. And then I started to see that I was identifying physically, having physical reactions to the thoughts I was having going on in my mind. And because of my awareness, I was able to take my physical reactions from maybe a couple of hours of feeling that to, you know, maybe a couple of seconds or a couple of minutes, you know, how do you, when you're spiraling for lack of a better word, how do you mm -hmm. dislodge those thoughts? You know, and I know, I remember one time I'm spiraling, spiraling about something mundane for sure. Definitely not something that was, you know, Seriously, it's yeah. all like that basically. And, <laughs> yes. uh, and I was seeing, I, I kind of went, wait a minute, I'm allowing myself to sit here and spiral and then yeah. I could shift it. But sometimes I'm in it. And I, I, even for myself, who's been working on this for so many years, yep, absolutely. I, I sometimes go, oh, wait a minute. Like it takes me a while to kind of get out of it. How do you do that? Do you have a technique? I do. I dump. I like to dump. I use toilet paper sometimes and flush. I love to have like word vomit. I, I do it all the time. I have a, a notebook that I keep handy. I always have a notebook, a handy dandy notebook. Yeah. And I like to word vomit. I do. I like to see it because when you see it and oh, read it, so good. the reality of what you're looking at, the reality of it, now it, it takes life because remember, everything starts with a thought. It starts in the invisible first. We, you know, we don't see, but when we make it physical and tangible, now it becomes very real. So write that thought out. Like, let's say I have a thought like, Let's, cause I have my own practice and I'm a transformation coach and I do this work. And let's say I have a thought that I, um, I'm a failure because I didn't see 10 clients this week. Right. And I write that down. Now, if I know that I committed to feeling good, to feeling abundant, to feeling powerful, to feeling confident, right. This is why I tell people, this is what I teach in my warrior practice. You have to identify what your personal commitment is all the time. Because if you don't, when these thoughts are coming up, you don't have nothing to check it. So now when I write yeah. this thought out, I'm a failure. And I didn't, because I didn't see 10 clients. I, when I read that and I put it on a piece of paper, I have to now ask myself, is this in alignment with how I set, what I committed to feeling? Because I committed to feeling abundant, pure, high integrity, confident, powerful. Now, and then I'm this is what I'm thinking. It, the math isn't mathing. Right. They don't, they don't go together. They don't go together. Will this thought evoke the emotions that I said that I was committed to having? No, it won't, it won't. So that means that this is an illusion, this is a distraction. This is something that's trying to railroad me from the direction that I know that I that I'm going. That's it. A lot of times we want to know the outcome or we want to know that we're going to win and if we don't think that's what's going to happen then we want to dwell in the the negative emotion. But but will you feel good from that? That is the question. Right. So you look at it, you go, this is an integrity in not in an integrity of me feeling peaceful or powerful or in line. And then you go, okay, well, what thought is bring it in. And, and then you bring that into the, the, to the space. Yeah. You write it out, but look at how much work this is. Like we're talking about like deep, a lot of people are like, how do you do it? I don't have a lot of friends. I'm very <laughs> like, you gotta yeah. be like, this yeah, is real work. Yeah, but I loved your vulnerability earlier when you were talking about how when you made the decision, you know, to end the relationship with your mother, that it took a while to still do that. And I think there's a really big, important lesson for our listener at home to remember, which is that you take steps 
And it's about taking these micro steps into the direction of who you want to be and where you want to go. And, you know, it's about being kind to yourself when you maybe slip or get off course. And it's about understanding that we're on a journey here. We're figuring mm -hmm. it out, right? We are. We are. We're figuring it out. You yeah. take the micro steps. It'll lead to this big, big place that you're going to be. And I honestly feel like we carry so much emotional clutter I do this visualization in my work where I get, I, I visualize, you know, my client with a flashlight moving through their body. And what is, what, what, if you had a flashlight moving through your body, what would it find? Wow. What would it see? What's in there? What are you holding on to? Yeah. Because if you're holding on to something, the real thing that you're supposed to be attracting, because essentially we're abundance. We are abundant beings. We effortlessly breathe every day. If that's not abundant, then I don't know what is, right? We have a whole breath that gives us life. That means that whatever we need, it comes to us easily. Mm -hmm. Okay. So just operating from that reality says that we're supposed to be experiencing pure bliss. Yeah. But then we've got all this programming that tells us otherwise. And that's where I want to head now into the conversation of the inner child, because I think it's really important that at least for me, you know, you're talking about the flashlight, right? Bringing the flashlight. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, God, you know, and the automatic reaction for me is that I feel and, you know, I've been aware of this since I read the Keepers of the Light Codes book. I think I probably always knew, but I feel like my heart needs to be a little bit more open, a little bit more, you know, not really so clean. I think that especially as an empath, I've been working for so long at holding my energy because I absorb everyone else's stuff all the time. And I think in a way it sort of closed, you know, closes me off to the abundance mm -hmm. and, and feeling all that joy and stuff, which obviously I'm, I have a happy life. I'm, I'm really happy. I'm not trying to say that, but I just mean that I know that my heart is the gate to everything. I know mm -hmm. my heart is the gate to the abundance and the unlimited joy and prosperity and connection to source energy and my higher self. And I feel like sometimes, you know, my heart is just wants to protect itself and wants to be, you know, wants to be on guard. And mm -hmm. I guess, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you about the inner child was because I feel in a way, and I'd love to know your thoughts on this, that the inner child is hidden within the heart space. And when we are not nurturing the inner child, then how can the heart space open up to everything that we would like to attract? And I just think it can't. It can't. It will not. The, you see, the yeah. inner child is the part of us that's unresolved. That means there's something that's unfinished. Right. In that, that child's life. And what happens is we bring that into our adulthood. We, I'm sure if I ask you to think for a moment of a time in your adult life where you reacted in an immature way to something that you can think easily. Yeah. That part, that is your inner child. Yeah. That inner child is trying to recover something. And what it does is I say that we have what I call make nice antennas. They're invisible. You can't see them. And what we do is we look for the perfect match to our dysfunction, our trauma. We align ourselves with it because we've convinced ourselves in the subconscious mind that we're going to get back in the situation so we can fix it. We want to repair what we believe is unresolved. So what does that look like? If you have a mother wound, you may have relationships with people, whether love or friendships, intimate or just platonic, where you have to prove your worth to them. Or if you had a parent who you had to be the emotional caretaker of, now you attract relationships with people that you have to fix fascinating okay because you believe that it is it was your fault 
the ego mind of the child doesn't know how to dissect what was happening at that stage of her life. Yeah. So now she believes, well, oh my God, what did I do wrong? I need to get this right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, so she, I almost think it's funny. It's not funny, but it's almost like, oh yeah, you know, cause I'm really tough on myself. You know, I'm a high achiever and, you know, I always like working really hard and stuff like that. Mm. And I think that, you know, I, yeah, I think sometimes when I'm thinking about my inner child, I'm thinking, man, like sometimes she just wants to lay her hair down and have fun and like chill out a little bit. She doesn't want to always have to be constantly you know, achieving something. <laughs> but where does she learn that if she's not achieving, then something is wrong? Right. That that means that your your redemption is in ease and rest. Yeah. Yeah. That's where your joy really is. Yeah. I think there's a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to this podcast as well. And I'm sure there's a lot of them feeling like, oh, dang, I can totally relate to that. Because especially when you're a, an entrepreneur and a spiritual, you know, you're on the spiritual path. What I see in a lot of the listeners that, you know, listen to the podcast is that they're working hard. They're wanting to be the best that they can. They're running businesses. They've got families there, mm -hmm. you know, and when you were talking earlier about, you know, putting yourself first. I don't think you said exactly like that. I wrote down self-care and I just think that, you know, do you think that the self-care or the neglecting of self-care is a big part about the neglecting of the inner child as well? Absolutely. Well, you said something key. A lot of us came from punitive environments and we are still punishing ourselves. A lot of us believe that we should be suffering. If you grew up in an environment where there was a lot of guilt throwing, subconsciously you believe that you are bad mm. guilt is i am bad shame is i did something bad i am wrong i did something wrong right so if that this is why core beliefs are very important if you, you it is imperative that you assess what your core beliefs are about yourself yeah and identifying where those core beliefs came from. If those core beliefs come from a place of a trauma narrative, you need to dismantle them. They need to be broken down. So having a core belief that rest means that you're lazy or that not having a lot going on means that you're not productive. Guess what? You need to rest more. Yeah, I have that core belief that I have guilt with resting. Yeah, with because there's things to do and, you know, and when you love your job and you're passionate about it, it doesn't feel like work either, which I think sometimes is a difficult thing to kind of realize. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that a lot of, of people can connect to that, you know, if I'm not resting or if I'm resting, I'm, I'm being lazy, especially a lot of, you know, when I work with a lot of mothers and stuff, mm -hmm. they feel that, well, there's always someone to take care of or or things to do, you know, how do you break down those core beliefs? You know, I, I took my level one theta healing. So one of the techniques there is to go in and re remove that program, but how do you do it in the work that you do? So, um, how you dismantle your core beliefs. Okay. I'm really big about writing down, writing it, writing it out. So experiencing yourself though, you have to be in the place of being the observer though, though. So right. for example, like, uh, here's an example. So my mother wound makes me heavily attached to older women, right? Because I don't have a, I, I don't have a mother, right? Right. Uh, my so mother's you're replacing not that. So I will wound. try to replace that. Okay. So when I put an, an, uh, an unspoken expectation on someone else, that comes from the core belief that I don't believe that I'm loved, Right. So I have to be very aware of myself of when that's showing up. For example, if I'm mad that somebody that I thought should have supported me in an event, let's just say, let's say I had a Reiki circle and I thought this person should have been there. I didn't communicate it. I didn't say that to the person, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? 
But I but think can't read your mind. mind. <laughs> exactly right. But again, if you're not mindful, because we can easily justify that emotion and say, "Yeah, well, they should have been there," and I right. But yeah. the mindfulness practice, the warrior practice, helps me to understand. Wait a minute. And also, um, Don Miguel Ruiz's book, The Four Agreements. Oh, one of the most, if our listeners not read that, get it done. <laughs> Honestly, like if that book has totally helped me understand that everyone has the right to do whatever they think, especially if you didn't communicate your need, your desire, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, so, so then the mindfulness practice shows up and I'm like writing down in my journal, like, wait a minute, but in my core, I felt um, abandoned. I felt right. So then if I were to express it to the person, I'm actually projecting, right? This is not, this is not real. This is, I'm projecting what I'm feeling onto someone else and making it as though it's their responsibility. So now this is how I do the dump. I have to write that out. And then you, it is imperative. It is so important that you not just write out your awareness discovery, but you also write out where this emotion originated from. Because then in that discovery, you will understand it didn't start with you. That's not your original thought. So now it is, it is important. Like what I teach in my work is a lot of times we believe we are our feelings. You need to create a separate entity. I'm really big about having my transformees even name their emotion. I'm talking about give it a human name because when it shows up, now you can have a conversation. Okay, Eddie, I see you. I see you, Eddie. I see what you're doing and I see, but that's not what's going to happen today. Like that's the work that I do. You have to understand that it's separate from you because who you are to your core is pure love. And anything outside of pure loving vibration it's not you. Yeah. That actually well, makes now, me feel emotional when you say it like that. Cause you're so, yeah, it's like this imposter is, is there, you know, existing, yes. you know, the pain body or, you know, Eddie or whatever, however you want to explain it. Yeah, but, whatever name, Susie, Eddie, John, I just say, give it a name. Yeah. But it's not your authentic. Cause we are love exactly and we and it's so challenging sometimes i shouldn't say that it's uh, because i don't want to create that for myself or anyone listening but it's it can be um a task a task <laughs> to identify to see that within yourself and to uh you know to to identify that one of the things that you said that's so important that i really want to reinforce is that you're talking about oh wait a minute that original thought did not start with me we believe we are our thoughts or that our thoughts are real. Whereas if I was telling you some crazy story and telling you, you did something, you know, and you're like, I wasn't even in the country. That's just so <laughs> crazy. It would, even un- it would just would not even compute. And yet I could tell you something just as crazy about yourself that you may believe. Well, you know, absolutely kind of a vague example, but you know, it's, it's just no. going to show that we think that we have to believe everything that we think and we don't, but we have to unlearn it also when we notice that it's there. We do, we do. But we, we as humans, we tend to believe our thoughts. We think that, and honestly, that's the ego. Yeah. That's the ego. The ego wants us attached. That's why we suffer. And like in Buddhism, they say suffer. It says suffering is a choice. Yeah. We don't have to suffer. We put ourselves through that suffering because we're weighed down by these thought processes that are really like 3D. <laughs> They're not, they they like really belong to this three dimensional plane. It's not, you know, it's really not who we are. You know, um, when you were talking about writing things down, one of the things that I thought about was that actually when you write things down, it frees you of it. And I- It does. I, I started doing automatic writing uh, recently, uh, you know, when I started my mediumship and stuff, but mm. ha- it's not something I I really do. I do my gratitude every day and that kind of thing. But journaling is just not something that I really do. I think it's because mm. I have a difficult time writing because I'm a fast typer. And so the actual mm. writing process is difficult for me. But 
I can see there's so much value in it. I feel like I've been missing an important opportunity. (laughs) Yeah. And I was taking a class with a diviner the other day and she was talking about using blue ink and the power of the color blue and allowing the vibration of the pen to flow through your body, through the color. And that was profound. I was like, what? Well, you know, blue is the color of the the throat chakra, which is a communication center. Communication. She mentioned that in her class too. Yeah. Um, Yeah. This was really good being with her in that. I was like, wow, that's deep because I'm into the writing. But I also have done, um, you know, I'm a dreamer. My mediumship comes to me through my dreams. I have a vision almost every night. Wow. So- I have a dream journal. So that's why I I actually invested in a journal um, and I don't remember the author, but it's so amazing. Oh, and I know yeah, like it's, it's like it's blue, guided. blue angel, probably it's a blue angel journal or something like that. One I'm of those assuming. journals yeah. that guides you to, you know, like writing out your dreams and what symbols yeah. were there. So like the process of writing out my dreams have helped me feel more connected to writing, but I also would do voice notes. Cause like, if something is happening and you don't have a pen or you're in the moment and I'll just go on my phone and do a voice note and say, I, I just noticed that this thing happened and I felt insecure. And when I tapped into the feeling, I realized that it reminded me of this time in my childhood. And so now I have to, the next step in this process is to really give to yourself what you were really asking for someone else to give to you. Right. So, okay. So how do you do that? So in whichever capacity, well, this is why building a relationship with the self is important because that's, what's going to teach you what you should do. So I know if I'm in this situation, so like I gave the example, I thought this person should have come to my Reiki circle. They didn't come in it. So I knew I needed to give myself a hug. I needed to give myself some kind words. I gave myself a bath with some white flowers. You know, I laughed in the mirror. Like after a a series of self-care practices, you have a toolbox now. So now you've developed your your prescription. Wow. What's your go-to, you know? So you basically, you notice when something triggers you or when something that you're telling yourself doesn't align with your values, with your ethos, with your, what you want to feel, peace, integrity, mm-hmm. you know, you, you notice that happening. And mm-hmm. then you say to yourself, okay, I notice it and I'm feeling this emotion. And that reminds me of when this happened and mm-hmm. what would I have done? And very often it's probably when you're a child, I would imagine or mm-hmm. a teenager, but probably mm-hmm. a child. And then you say, okay, well, I noticed that she would have loved a bit of attention or she would have loved, you know, a hug, like you said. And then you, you Mm -hmm. then give that to yourself and then you find you give that to yourself. And then the other thing is that your, your relationships should be nurturing you as well. And now if you have not been taking care of yourself, then you might not be having experiences in relationships that you feel taken care of. Yeah. So once you start to take care of yourself, now you develop the language to ask for what you want in these relationships. And then it gets to the place where if they're not serving you, guess what? It's easier to walk away because you guess who's been taking care of you. You have. Yeah. And you're filling your own cup. And so therefore you're not looking outside of you for that validation or that confirmation or when you notice that someone is not adding value to your life, Unfortunately, it becomes a little easier to say, well, I don't know if I really want this anymore because yeah, I, I, I need an experience that reflects what I, what I give to myself. Yeah. And then this change, yeah, this no longer serves me and I'm moving on. When we talk about the mother wound, how is that connected to the, the inner child? Well, the mother wound, you know, we are deeply rooted in this relationship with this person. Everything that we are and will ever be starts and ends with the relationship we have with our mothers. The number one holiday in the United States of America in the Western hemisphere is Mother's Mother's Day. Day. Nobody talks about that. It is taboo to highlight 
pain that has been caused by a mother because our culture is like they're mothers who cares right that's why or how ungrateful are you they brought you you. brought you into this world so if you have a mother wound then you have an unresolved inner child because you have a part of you that is yearning to be seen loved heard and understood do you think that the inner child ever becomes complete or, and completely healed? Or is this a con- constant maintenance thing? And and I want to ask you that in relation as well to, you know, you know, I feel like you've been doing a lot of work on yourself. You're very self-aware. <laughs> you're teaching other people how to do this. But it seems to me like you're not perfect. So that would mean oh that God. you're... <laughs> right? You're still figuring. So is it an ongoing journey until we transition? Guess what? (laughs) It changes form. I'm, I'm, I'm not perfect, but now I'm okay with that. I'm no longer attached to what my imperfection meant in my past. And like, you know, um, Oh, right. Dr. Um, Oh my God. His name is slipping me right now. It's going to come to me. I listen to him every morning. Anyways, he he talks about, you know, if you're still operating from the place of your past, you can't create a vision for the future. So in the past, when I was operating from my trauma response, my trauma narrative, the fact that I was talkative meant I needed to shut up because nobody was going to like me because that's what my mother told me. Now that I'm talkative, I don't, I don't give a, I, can I say yeah. that? <laughs> yeah, you can say whatever you want, girl. Like, I don't give a, like I could say, I can do, I can be whatever. I don't have to operate from the place of what it was defined in the past. Now, for me, if you don't like that I'm talkative, then I'm not your person. So it actually shifts. My goal is to coexist with my inner child, give her life so that she can be what she needed to be when she was a child, Mm -hmm. which meant she was creative. She was very talkative, but she always felt she needed to be quiet because her talkativeness made people in her environment very uncomfortable she always heard things like you you should become a lawyer like oh my god you oh or my mother would say nobody's gonna like you you talk too much right um so i have to create space for her to show up fully aside from those narratives right so i'm no longer preoccupied with being totally fixed and perfect I'm now in a space of self-harmony, which means harmony doesn't mean everything is right. Harmony means there's good, there's bad, there's darkness, there's light, and they can coexist. So, So, yeah. So like my shadow self can be really, really like hood, (laughs) right? And I'm okay with that. Like, yeah, There's because no you're reason. in alignment with who you are and you're not having to justify or it's almost like you're not having to watch your behavior. You can just be, be who you are. Yeah, yeah. And when it shows up that someone has a problem with how I show up. Now, again, the warrior practice that I teach is about identifying what are your own moral standards So if I've harmed someone and now I've committed to being someone who loves others, like who believes that others deserve to be loved. Right. So now if I've harmed someone and someone says, well, you know, the other day you did this and you, and I'm going to be like, oh my goodness, I apologize. Like, I didn't even know that I did that. And, you know, if I did, I apologize about that because that's, that's like, I wasn't my intention. That wasn't my intention. I was, you know. So like in the past, the trauma narrative would have had me defensive and like, I didn't do that or, you know, because that's what it looked like. So you really have to see where you're coming from in order to create Dr. Joe Dispenza, by the way, as well. I wrote it down. I was going to say to you, this is who you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Joe Dispenza. Yeah. 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 Love his work. So So, like, um, you know, you have to know who you were or who you are in order to create who you're going to be. Yeah. But what I teach, Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I teach the women. Well, I work mostly with women that they have the power to create themselves. You can write yourself out. It's that easy. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, but when you were talking, what I I learned from you, well, it was a lot, but mm-hmm. you are showing kindness and compassion to yourself instead of berating yourself. You're going, oh, my bad. I didn't mean to do that. And, and then where, yeah, whereas, you know, maybe in the past you might have berated yourself for a long time about that. Weeks on end. Yeah. Oh, my God. I can't believe it would have been about something simple, like sending a text with a bunch of typos. Three days later, still, that that would have been me. That was that was Keisha's mode of operation. That was where I had operated from. And now I give her grace. I remind her that she's human. I'm like, what's the worst that could happen? They're going to say you you turned it in late or you you came. okay? and what? Like, whose standards are you living by? Like. Are, are you being true to your own moral standards? Are you operating from a, from a place of integrity? And if you are like, I remember having someone, an elder, a woman too, who I really looked up to. And I remember she, you know, she said to me, oh, you, you, you just always interrupting. And, and, and then I heard her and I thought to myself, cause you have to know when it's about them and not you. Right, because it's not always about you, because that's ego as well. You know, and that's why I, when we talk about the ego, we're talking about the inner child. Think about children. We children are all about ego narrative. They don't have the brain is not even fully developed to not operate out of the ego. Children think every if you take a lollipop from a child, what's going to happen? They're going to get mad. That's their lollipop. That's theirs. It's mine. Me. Right. So I had to get to that place of like, it's not always about you, Keisha. That that could be this other person's stuff showing up. You could be triggering something in them. Yeah. How, you know? And so you really have to connect with yourself, know yourself, and believe that you're good, that you're goodness. So that when little things are popping up, you don't just internalize it all the time. Yeah. Well, we're over an hour already chatting. I mean, I knew from the moment we connected, this was going to happen. I would love it if you would come back on the show another time, Keisha, maybe we can have like part two or something. I don't know. We can come up with another subject, but you know, it's such a huge discussion. You've shared so many different strategies and, and tips and tricks. I know that I saw myself in a lot of that and our listener did as well. So thank you. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you really feel called to bring up in this conversation and also how can people connect with you if they'd like to find out more Mm. well what I do want to say in closing is that you know it's the 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 it took a lifetime to experience the trauma and it's going to take another lifetime to heal it and so you have to be very very gentle slow and steady progress is the name of the game and you have to be so gentle. So 37 years to experience it. I have 37 years to heal. And so just be easy on yourself. Just be easy, as easy as you can be. That's what I want to say. Um, how can you find me? I am all over. I'm on YouTube. Everything is movements for change. My website is my my mymovementsforchange.com. Movements always has an S. So it's mymovementsforchange.com. I am also on YouTube with Movements for Change. I am on Instagram, movements underscore for underscore change. I was on Facebook until I think somebody hacked my account and I don't have access to my business page anymore, which I was like, ah, but it'll be okay. Um, I'll put a link to all that as well in the show notes so that our our listener at home can connect with you easily. Keisha, thank you so much for being here. I'm so glad that I got to chat with you today. And um, I know there has just been so much value that you've given to the listener at home. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lauren. Hi, thanks so much for listening to the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please leave us a review where you listen to your podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you. New episodes every Thursday.